The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together outdoors on a beautiful morning and to open the Word of God. Lord, may we be strengthened by it today. May your spirit work in us. May it open our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see everyone here this morning. It is a beautiful day that God has given us to gather together to worship and to open the word. And I am very much looking forward to it as I know that you are. I also recognize that we're outside. And I also recognize that you can probably see some of the smoke moving behind me and the smell of hot dogs wafting over the congregation. And so it was over the last couple of weeks I prepared for this and I spoke to pastor. He said, you know what, outside probably short and sweet is good. I thought, yeah, you know, that's probably good, and there's going to be hot dogs cooking. And so I kind of reasoned that through in my mind, and I kind of concluded with the thought that I'm just going to preach today until somebody throws a hot dog at me, and then I'll know it's my time to stop. Where's the hot dog? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Someone restrain that man. In the scripture that Brother Tom read this morning from Second Chronicles, we can see that Hezekiah was a man charged with the defense of Jerusalem that was in an extremely perilous position. He was under intense pressure facing a multitude from Assyria. It was a dire situation. All throughout scripture, if we look again and again and again, we are confronted with the men and the women that God use who find themselves in circumstances of uh, discouragement and suffering. You see, the devil hates when faithful Christian people look to their God for courage and strength and not to their own means. If we move through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, we can take a look at the Apostle Paul as a man who was also under intense scrutiny and pressure. I think next to Christ, I think you could probably say that nobody experienced pressure and discouragement. And the list goes on like the Apostle Paul did. Now, this morning, we may not be fortifying a city, we may not be fearing death or shepherding a church or many churches that are are really bucking against us, but we do now live in a culture that has turned its back on the Christian faith, a society that in years to come will become increasingly militant against the cause of Christ, save a revival happening. And what we need to understand this morning is we must have a means by which we can be rooted in our faith and we can withstand this pressure. And I believe that our text this morning speaks to this area. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. And I'm going to read the text in its entirety this morning. So focus in. And let's listen to God's word. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, 
I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragments of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life or of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. This is the word of our Lord this morning. Now, for the sake of clarity, as we examine this passage, we must get a, a quick spark notes explanation, if you will, of where Paul finds himself at this point in his ministry. Paul planted the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey, but at the time of writing 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually in the midst of a heated battle against false teachers who are distorting Paul's doctrine and slandering his name as an apostle. Paul had sent Titus to deliver a letter rebuking the Corinthians, and now Paul, at the time of writing this, finds himself in the situation of being desperate to find out about the news as to how the Corinthian church has reacted to this letter. Now, before we come to our application this morning, which cues in your mind that we're getting close to hot dogs, there are four observations or four points from the text that I would like to draw your attention to. Point number one, the providence of God. God is in sovereign control of this world. His kingdom will be built and his plans will come to pass. Look again what it says in verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord. We serve a God that opens doors. We serve a God that opens doors. Paul was given an opportunity by the Lord. Now, this may refer to the planting of the church in Troas. It refers to probably a, a great evangelistic word. Paul, wherever he went, Paul used God, or God used Paul, I should say, in a mighty way. Paul is certainly not the last person to be used greatly of God in history. Christian history is testament to God using men and women in amazing, incredible ways to bring about conversions to the Christian faith. And what we see time and time again in history is it's not the person or the gift of that person in particular that brings people to Christ, but it is the Spirit of God at work. Now we see Paul here in the midst of this opportunity, this door that God had opened. Though again, it was going out, people were responding to it by the work of the Spirit, we see the humanity of Paul revealed here, I think in, in a, a way that maybe we don't necessarily see all throughout the New Testament. Paul chooses, amidst this amazing door that God has opened, Paul to actually move on from this opportunity. Why? Because he's anxious. Paul is really struggling. Paul is desperate to find Titus and to hear his report. You can imagine that Paul is probably wrestling with the fact that this, to some degree, is dominating his mind. He just can't sleep over the fact of what is happening at this church in Corinth. 
Paul agonizes over his children in the faith. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, it says this. This is Paul kind of speaking sufferings that he's undergoing. He says, besides other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. Right? Not something that hits me every once in a while. Not something that I see something and it triggers something in my mind or in passing. I think about this as, oh man, this is, this is a daily concern, a deep concern that Paul has. Also, as we read through the books of Corinthians, we can understand that Paul does actually visit the church in Corinth, and it's a painful visit. Paul is caring so deeply for the church that he visits it, but when he does, he is rebuked publicly by someone in the church. He's rebuked publicly, meaning everyone else, by someone in the church. What is even more difficult is how the congregation actually responds to this. They did not stand up and have Paul's back. They just quieted down and let them. Imagine how devastated Paul must have been by this experience. I can imagine, I mean, you can even if you want to maybe take it one step further and bring it home here. God has used Pastor Dressler and Pastor Christians in an amazing way to build this church through faithful work over the years. There have been many, many other men and women who have poured into this place, but it has been under their leadership. Now, think for a moment, and you can compare this to what Paul would have experienced. Think for a moment, if we were to have a church meeting and rebuke one of those two men in front of the rest of the church after everything that they have poured into this place, and nobody stands up and has their back. You can imagine what that would feel like. Right? Paul devastated here. He must have been devastated. Look at it from a little bit of a different angle here this morning. Paul considered his churches, the people in his churches, the servants in his churches who were working, Paul considered them as children. Right? He had deep concern for them. Parents, I'm sure that you've experienced many moments of agony over the choices that your children have made. Right? Some of you young children, that's the season of life that my wife Stacy and I are in. But some of you, as they grow and as they start to gain more independence and they start to make decisions that make you just want to pull your, your gray hair out because they're giving you gray hair, right? you agonize over that. My parents happen to be here this morning. I can't imagine what they went through when I was in the foolishness of making decisions in times in, in my youth. Right? We agonize over our children. Paul agonized over the church in Corinth and how they were responding, how they were acting. And yet when we look back at our text this morning, and as we move through, we can follow Paul's train of thought as he goes from gloom and discouragement and probably sadness and anxiety to just an overjoy of praising God for what he has done through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14 with me. He continues through verse 13. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Pause the thought. Paul's in the midst of that gloom. He's in the midst of that anxiety. He wants to know. He wants to know. He wants to know. And look at what it says in verse 14. It's an abrupt break and a complete turn in a different direction. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of knowledge 
in every place. Paul immediately transitions in this narrative of disappointment and anxiety to praise and thanks. God. I find this amazing. We, I think we, we actually get a glimpse into the mind of the Apostle Paul here as he's rationalizing, as he's kind of reasoning through what he's, he's dealing with. Disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. And yet I know the God I serve is faithful and I can praise him for it. Paul switches here. He flips the switch and he regains his joyful, joyful perspective. Now what's interesting here is that there must have been a real pull between what Paul was feeling and what human emotions and how they can manipulate us and what Paul actually knew to be true. Right? We see a, a, a pull between the emotion side of it and the doctrine side of it. And we see here in Paul's example that the doctrine wins out. What regains this joyful perspective for Paul? Paul leans on what he knows to be true more than what his emotion that he is in. But what is this knowledge found in? Well, if we continue to move through our text, we see that it's found in the imagery that Paul now begins to use in the next part of our text. He uses the image or imagery of a Roman triumph. A Roman triumph. Now, Roman triumph was the parade or celebration of a Roman general and his army parading through the streets of Rome. They celebrated their latest conquest. All of Rome would come to watch this spectacle as it paraded through town. The glorious commander was through the streets, his army behind him, joining in the celebration, bringing with them the prisoners and the spoils of war. By the way, those prisoners that were brought with them, a lot of them would actually be executed at some point during this, this parade. It was a gruesome spectacle. And all for the glory of the general, right? This general was... Praised. He had conquered a new province for the glory of Rome. He was put on this pedestal. He was paraded through the streets. But what was all for? The glory of the general? The glory of Rome? The prestige of this new general? Something else to put on his resume? I would remind you that a mere handful of centuries later, Rome was no more. The greatest empire that the world had ever seen was crushed, scattered, and their identity was relegated to the history books. And yet Paul draws out here that we serve a God to lead, lead his followers in the triumph of Christ. We're not following some Roman general. We are following Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. A Savior who celebrates not a victory over an enemy or a province or a parcel of land, but, an en- but, but victory over sin and death itself. And this victory is not temporary. The Romans always had another enemy to fight. The victory was never quite complete. The glory of Rome was never quite satisfied. It needed to expand. It needed to get bigger. It needed to fire. But when Christ went to Calvary and laid himself out on the cross and he cried, it is finished. It was finished. It was done. It was finished for all eternity. It says in Matthew 16, 18, he's speaking about his church. He says this to Peter. He says, and I'll say to you that you are rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Past. Future. Nothing that can be done by our enemy to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. 
But let's take a little bit deeper into this. We are not only followers of Christ in this triumph of Christ, but we are also fellow heirs of Christ in this triumph of Christ. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 37, and then earlier on in Romans 8. In 37 it says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, it says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, this is important, then heirs. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with that we may also be glorified. We are joint heirs of Christ. That is not something that we take nearly enough time stopping and meditating upon. Not only do we get to, we, we get to pray behind Christ in this, this triumph of Christ, we are actually heirs with him. That when God looks down at us, he sees Christ, and then he groups us in there as well. We are not mere foot soldiers. We are heirs with Christ as Point number three this morning is the fragrance or aroma. Fragrance or aroma. During a Roman, Roman triumph, insult, incense-filled censers were carried by priests at the beginning of the parade, and then flowers were laid down in the streets. And as this incense passed and the flowers were trodden upon, a sweet aroma would it would captivate the spectators. I can't say it was it was it was beautiful. We see here in our text this morning that God uses his people to diffuse the fragrance and aroma of his knowledge in every place. God's people share what God has done through Christ wherever they go. Pleasing aroma. In Romans 10, 14 to 15, it says this. They call on him who they have not believed. And how shall Believe in of who of him whom of whom they have not heard. Sorry, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings. To fragrance and. men and women and boys and girls who evangelize, who bring that fragrance of Christ to the nations, to bring that fragrance of Christ to Ontario in our places of work, in our, in our, our circle of friends, on the schoolyard, wherever we find ourselves, we are to bring that fragrance of Christ with us. We are to proclaim his name. And yet we get so comfortable in our own place that God has us. We seem to surround ourselves with people who walk like us and talk that we do. They share the same worldview as us. They listen to the They read the same books as us. They watch the same movies as us. And they have the same political views as us as well. This is not shocking in, in many ways. This is just a pattern of human behavior. We live in a world of polarization today. The left leans further to the left, and the right leans farther to the right, and they got their own tribe over here. But what's important this morning is that we need to look at this from a biblical perspective. We do need to recognize, first and foremost, that the world is engaging and encouraging what 
is engaging in and what is encouraging should be appalling to the believer in Christ for good reason. We live in a world of lost men and women. We live in a world of enemies to Christ. We live in a world, as Romans 1 says, of debased minds. It's no secret to you, but if you look around in our society today, there is a complete and utter uh, movement that has been, been put completely into hyperdrive, promoting ideas that are against the, the cross of Christ. We think of the acceptance of the LBGTQI plus A plus plus agenda. It's everywhere. Corporately, it's everywhere. You can't turn on the TV. I grew up watching Saturday Night Hockey with my dad. That was one of my favorite things to do. Hockey Night in Canada, you turn it on, Ron McLean, Don Cherry. It was beautiful. You watch the Maple Leafs lose year after year after year after year after year. <laughs> but as the Maple Leafs have gotten a little bit better and they've showed maybe a little bit more hope, I've actually enjoyed watching with my boys as they eventually and inevitably lose again. But I enjoy watching playoff hockey with my boys. But one of the things that I've noticed is that we can no longer turn on the CBC and expect it to be a safe place. The days of that are far, far behind us. Because when the hockey game stops and the commercials start, this, this neo-Marxist agenda is absolutely everywhere. Used into everything. If you want to take maybe one you can see the transgender agenda that pushed in our school system. That young boys and girls who cannot in any way, shape, or form possibly begin to even understand in the slightest the complexity of human sexuality are being encouraged and even pushed to explore that and then to confirm those expectations, sometimes even to the point of surgery. That is appalling. It is in no way, shape, or form anything that lines up with a biblical perspective. So Pastor Dan talked to this in Sunday school a few weeks back, but really at the heart of this, is as you look at the sexual revolution and how it has progressed, that really the, the driving heartbeat behind it all is an extreme push to liberate human beings from all structures of society. If we can free the human being from literally every restraint that society puts on it, then they will be ultimately happy. Right? If we can get rid of the marriage covenant, if we can get rid of the family unit if we can get rid of the church, if we can get rid of anything that binds a human being to any sort of historical framework of what has been, then they'll be happy. Now, not everyone is accepting this, but much of our culture is accepting these ideas, and over time, as they were infused into us through media, more and more people accept it. And we rub shoulders with these people, or we engage in conversation with these people every day. We maybe get into uh, kind of discussions on social media with these people. And we uh, immediately, and I think that we need to be kind of fair and really truly assess ourselves here because I know that it's true of me. Anytime this comes up, I immediately put that person, that individual, into some sort of a camp that's extremely far off. And I label that person, I need, wow, that, that person's out, like, I need to put them over there. And immediately I have feelings, I, I actually. In some way, shape, or form, I, I pass judgment on that person. And yet what we must remember is that these individuals who are pushing this, or maybe even just accepting this, they are living souls. 
They're living souls. They're living souls that are perishing. We must remember that we are called to be light to these people. And so the next time you find yourself in a conversation with a colleague at work or with a relative at Thanksgiving, or in a discussion with somebody on social media, we must consider the words that we speak and how we communicate them. We are called to be a fragrance and an aroma, and the way that which we communicate is extremely important. You see, we have a way of getting our point across sometimes by bringing a sledgehammer to tap in a finishing nail. We can take the pleasant fragrance and aroma that we are supposed to infuse, we can foul it. This is what the Apostle Paul was hitting at when he spoke, or when he issued, that we need to speak the truth in love. We need to speak the truth. We need to be that fragrance, but we need to do it in a way that honors the Do we diminish the truth? Absolutely not. I would encourage you to stand upon your biblical convictions with every fiber of your being, but communicate them the truth in a way that is loving and winsome. Our responsibility is not to argue them into the kingdom of heaven. That is completely and utterly up to the Holy Spirit. When we do this, there will be one of two responses. When the gospel goes out, there's one of two responses. In our text, we see it's either death leading to death or death leading to life. And our part in that equation is in no way, shape, or form to manipulate the outcome. We cannot do that. But we are to bring the fragrance. We are to bring the aroma. Point number four this morning is who is sufficient for these things? Verse 16b, we see Paul hit at this when he says these words. To the one, the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life, or death leading to life, life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? This is the humility of Paul here. Paul the apostle, Paul that God was in a great way. He stands back and he says, I understand who is sufficient for these things. Yes, maybe you can take a look at my resume, but sufficient to bring this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for a moment, I want to draw your attention back to the Roman triumph. As the soldiers marched behind their commander, they basked in the glory of the parade, knowing full well that really, if you think about it from a historical perspective, the bulk of the credit to what was accomplished in taking that territory or conquering that province or defeating that enemy, the bulk of the victory was probably upon their shoulders. They were the boots on the ground. They were the ones spilling the blood. They were the one moving forward. They were the ones sacrificing everything for the glory of Rome and the pedigree of their general. The victory the sweat of their brow and from the blood of their veins. And yet, Christian, this morning, stay with me here. I want you to see this. When we march behind in the triumph of Christ, ultimate victory we celebrate is in absolutely no way, shape, or form our doing. In fact, all we brought to the sin and failure. There was nothing that could be done by us. The victory we bask in, the victory that makes us co-heirs with Christ for eternity was from the sweat of his brow and the blood of his veins on Calvary. A number of months ago, uh, Stacy and I, we were the kids and we went to London. And, if you, and you have to go to Costco because that's what everybody does. Uh, we, we went to Costco and we needed a number of things. And so the kids were having somewhat of a, a, a difficult day. Uh, and had a lack of sleep the night before. 
And so as we were going into Costco, we, we, we loaded them in the cart, and I can picture it. We sat them down in the cart, and we distinctly had a conversation with all three of them. Anderson, you can try to talk to him, but he just kind of coos and caws back at you. Uh, we had a conversation with all three of them about the, the, the standards that we expected when we went into Costco. That there was not going to be jumping from cart to cart, so there was not going to be climbing out of the cart, so there was not going to be grabbing things off the shelf, that manners were going to be used, that there was a standard by which we expected, Stacy and I expected our children to act once we got into Costco. Can I tell you, when we got into Costco, it was an absolute train wreck. <laughs> they were good for the first couple aisles, right? Obedience. They were doing what they were. we had asked them to do. But my goodness, it was a train wreck. They were... I don't want to get into it, but it, it, was, it was a train wreck. And so needless to say, Stacy and I were disappointed. We were at our, our wit's end. We At the end, we, we got some food. We went to a, a park, and we sat down at this park, and we just kind of wanted to, like, listen, like we had to debrief a little bit here. Like, we're seeing out of our ears. Right? We get to the park. There's a nice playground. There's a picnic table. There's a picnic table over here. There's nobody else there, which was a blessing. And we sit down, and Willow gets out of the car, and she just again and again and again, it's like, Willow, I would like you to do this, and she just walks the other way. And so finally we took Willow, and we set her across the playground, just, it wasn't a big playground, we set her across the playground, it's like, Willow, you need to stay here, because for your own safety, you need to stay here right now. (laughs) And so she stayed there. And I get back to the picnic table with Stacey, and we just sit down, we don't even say anything, we just look at each other. It's that look of like, what is going on? We were so frustrated. And then all of a sudden, we, our, our, our condition gets disrupted, and we look back over to Willow. She's standing on the top of the picnic table, yelling to her mom and dad, Look, Mommy, Daddy, I picked you a dandelion! And it was this most pathetic-looking dandelion you'd ever seen. It was flopped over and dead-looking. And she's just waving it like she's so proud. Like, Mommy, Dad, look what I've done for you. And in that moment, Stacey and I looked at each other, and the realization, work for Christ. We can think that we're doing this great work for God. We can think that we're a Roman soldier, that it's by the sweat of our God. And yet the reality is, is that when God looks down at us, we are no different than Willow waving that dandelion on top of the picnic table saying, look at what I've done for you. Look at what you've done. The was completely pathetic. I don't really only enjoy dandelions, but this one was really, really bad. And yet when God looks at us, he sees that. And yet when we move back in our text a little bit this morning, we are co-heirs with Christ. How can that be possible? How can that be true? We serve a graceful God. Amen. We're almost at the end this morning. You've done a great job paying attention. Just stay with me here for a few more minutes. When Brother Tom read the scripture this morning, we were, we were confronted. And Hezekiah, the reality is Hezekiah could face what he did because he was fighting an arm of flesh. As intimidating as the Syrians looked, the multitudes that came, right, the impressiveness of their military, he was fighting an arm of flesh. But in his camp was Yahweh, the creator God. The God that spoke the universe into existence. The God, through Christ, that, as it says in Colossians, holds the foundation of the world together. There was nothing the Assyrians could do against an enemy like that. Paul can stand amidst the intense pressure of shepherding the mess that was the church in Corinth. 
and dealing with slanderous false teachers. He could deal with beatings. He could deal with shipwrecks. He could deal with prisons. He could deal with people that wanted his head on a platter because he knew that while he was called to fight, the outcome of that fight was in no way up to him. It was up to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so Maple City, dearly beloved, come what may, and we can stand by standing at the foot foot of the cross and when we never and we resolve in our minds to never abandon the foot of the cross when we look to what Christ has done we can resolve and we can be I would say be humbly confident but confident nonetheless and convinced in that whatever comes in the next year in the next 10 years in three generations from now when it's not us here and it's our children's children that are operating Maple City Baptist Church we can be confident in the victory that Jesus Christ bought for us on the cross of Calvary. So by way of application this morning, by way of application this morning, I want you to walk, number one, walk in a bold confidence. There's no vacillating. There's no, Christ is, I see that to be true, but when I get out into the world, you know, there's pressures, there's people, and all this. Walk in a bold confidence. You have reason to walk in a bold confidence. Again, nothing in what you have done, but everything in what Christ has done. Walk in a bold confidence. Be humble, but walk in that confidence. Application point number two. How we live today demonstrates what we really believe. How we live today demonstrates what we really believe. Consider this this morning. How the conversations that we have, the steps that our feet trodden on, right? The, maybe the outlook by which we take a look at what's around us in our society and what we conclude that to be. It's like, oh man, this is like everything's just bad around us. Or maybe a little more optimistic, everything can be bad around us. In fact, scripture promises it's actually going to get really bad. But we have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is victorious. And I don't need to lean on myself. I can lean on that. So how we live today demonstrates what we really believe. We can say we believe something, but are we actively living in a, such a way that our actions validate our beliefs? I'm going to say that one more time. We can say that we believe something. I believe Jesus Christ is victorious. But do my actions, do the way that I live my life, does my demeanor, do my conversations actually validate the fact that I believe that? They ought to. They really ought to. Point number three this morning. We are to be the fragrance of Christ. We are to be the aroma of Christ. Christian, we are called to evangelize. There is a world out there of living souls, of dying souls. And if they do not hear about Christ, what a shame that is. We know the result of that. We are called to bring the gospel to the nations. We are called to bring the gospel to the city of Chatham, Ontario. We are called to evangelize. But let me pause for one moment and just maybe hit home a little bit harder here this morning. We are first and foremost called to evangelize in our own homes. And so parents, this is a call this morning. What are you doing to make sure that your children are seeing the fragrance and the beautiful aroma of Christ. 
Are your kids seeing that? Or maybe are your kids growing up in a little bit more of a legalistic home? Right? Are they growing up maybe seeing, wow, this Christianity thing is, oh, that's not something I really want to be a part of because that aroma, that fragrance, it doesn't smell too sweet. Right? What is the fragrance of your home like? We are called to evangelize. And so, Christian, when we consider 2 Corinthians this morning, when we consider the situation that Paul was in, when we consider the struggles that he found, more than anything else this morning, I want you to remember that we are to go back to the fact that we can walk boldly, we can walk confidently in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for how you used him. We thank you for the church in Corinth. And we even thank you that Paul had to struggle the way that he did with the church in Corinth because it speaks so much to what we are experiencing today. The word of God is amazing. It is so relevant today. And Lord, I pray that we would take what was spoken this morning. I pray that your spirit would work. And I pray that we would go forward from here. And as we go throughout our week, as we interact with people, as we go home today as we we interact with people in our own home, that we would walk in a humble yet bold in Jesus Christ, knowing that the triumph, the parade, nothing, nothing whatsoever to receive any of the credit, but Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And on Calvary, he was the one who purchased ultimate victory. It's in him we stand. It's in him we lean and put our trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.